Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So we are kicking off a brand new series uh, today called Big Reputation. And over the next few weeks, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about is reputations. Uh, My reputation, your reputation, the reputation of Jesus, the reputation of the church at large, and the reputation of this church here at Woodstock Woodstock City, and how in the grand scheme of the mission that Jesus has called us into, why your reputation and why my reputation matters. Reputation, it's the the thing that we're known for. As a church, it's the thing that we're known for. And in just a few minutes, we're gonna find out how those two things are linked forever if you're a Jesus follower. But it's the thing you're known for, good or bad, favorable or unfavorable. Your reputation, it's the belief or an opinion that others have about you and about me that impacts how much they trust you and as a result, how much and the degree to which they engage with you and with me. Your reputations matter. And here's what I love about this conversation. At the surface level, it's really faith neutral. And by that, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do or don't believe about faith. On the surface, you don't need to believe in Jesus to understand that your reputation matters. Earning trust with people matters. In fact, it's just a matter of wisdom. It's just the way the world works. It's the way that life works. In fact, Solomon in Proverbs 22, verse one, and here's what I love about Proverbs. Um, it's just a lot, of, um, a lot of commentary on how life is lived best. And here he tells us, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. A good name, a good reputation is more desirable than great riches. And what Solomon is doing here is he's not talking about that we have to choose between great riches in a good reputation, he's speaking to the value of a good reputation. And what he's saying to you and to me is the most valuable thing we have isn't anything that we own. Ultimately, the most valuable thing we have is who we are and what we are known for. And that all of us will work really, really hard to earn money. And that's not a bad thing, but he would say that we should work harder to make sure we are earning a good reputation. Here's the interesting thing about reputations and why this conversation is so important is because reputation is currency. That's what reputation is. Reputation is currency. Your reputation and my reputation is a medium of exchange that holds value relationally and even professionally, right? You get this. This is why a good reputation opens doors and a bad reputation closes them. A good reputation creates opportunities while a bad reputation destroys them. A good reputation increases your influence, but a bad reputation suffocates your influence. A good reputation builds trust with others, but a bad reputation erodes it. Your reputation and mine matter. And here's the kicker. You and I decide how much that currency is worth. And here's what I know about you, because I know this is true about me, and this is just how life works. No one wants to get stuck with a bad reputation. Nobody wants to get stuck with one because as valuable as a good reputation is to you and to me, 
equally as detrimental, if not more detrimental, is a bad reputation for you and for me. That we would all do well to be vigilant of making sure we are not treating people and acting in a way that would lead to a bad reputation. Because reputations are one of those weird things where it takes longer to build a good one than it does a bad one. And it's easier to ruin a good one than to redeem a bad one, right? You get this, you get this, right? I'd say this way, that bad reputations are easy to make, but difficult to shake. It's just true. They're easy to make. Sometimes, is this true? It only takes once. Boom, pegged with a reputation. Because first impressions often lead, leave lasting impressions. Some of you fellas are married and you got lucky she came back after that first impression, right? First impressions leave lasting impressions. And here's what starts to happen with reputations and why they're so difficult to shake is because oftentimes what'll start to happen is reputations will precede you. They will go before you, that your reputations will introduce you before you introduce yourself, that my reputation and your reputation will explain you before anyone has a chance to experience you. They're so easy to make, but they're difficult to shake. And then then to kind of add to the complexity, bad reputations, they tend to speak louder and stick longer than good reputations. They tend to speak louder and stick longer than good reputations. We just live in a culture where it's just easier. And I think it's just part of human nature. You guys get this. It's easier to focus on the negative than the positive. Maybe it's just me, but it's why you're more likely to leave a negative review on Amazon than a positive one, right? It's why oftentimes when we're remembering experiences, whenever they are negative or bad, they rile up more emotion oftentimes after the fact than good ones. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but I know sometimes this is true of me. I often tend to go into far more detail explaining a bad experience than when it was just good, right? Why? Because bad reputations tend to speak louder and stick longer than good reputations. In fact, the word reputation itself, grammatically, it is an emotionally neutral word. However, doesn't it just kind of feel negative? Like if you were talking to somebody and they're like, oh yeah, they've got a reputation. You're like, oh, tell me more, you know? You just kind of assume it's negative. You walk into a parent-teacher conference and your teacher's like, yeah, little Jimmy's got a reputation. Don't talk about my, you know, like you just, it could be a good one for every reason. It's just assumed to be negative. It's this negative, uh, emotionally negative word. Why? Because bad reputations tend to speak louder and stick longer than good. Reputations. It's why you and I would do well to pay attention to the reputation that we are building. And the reason why this conversation matters to everybody on a totally different level is because this conversation gets even more complex when you represent something more than you. Because everybody in this room and everybody watching online, you represent something bigger and more than you. And here's what that means. That when you represent When you represent something bigger than you, your reputation's impact goes beyond you. That's just true. It's true that your reputation and my reputation, it's bigger than just us. It's not just about us. No, no, no. When we represent something bigger and something more, then our reputation's impact goes even beyond us. Come on, you get this. Like, you know this. You've experienced both sides of this. One employee can ruin the reputation of a company. Maybe you were that employee one day, right? Maybe not, hopefully not. One teammate can ruin the image of a whole team of an entire organization. One server can ruin the reputation of an entire restaurant. This is true. Fair or unfair doesn't make it less true. 
And if you are a follower of Jesus, we have the capacity to ruin the reputation of the church. If you are a Jesus follower, I just want to lean in for the next few minutes together because if you are a follower of Jesus, your reputation matters not just because we need to care about the opinions of other people and just surface level image management. No, no, no. If you are a follower of Jesus, our reputation matters. Why? Because the reputation of the church matters. And you and I represent the church. And the reputation of the church matters. Why? Because the reputation of Jesus matters in a world that is growing more and more hostile to the church and to the message of Jesus. There was a study done by Gallup uh, back in 2019. They surveyed Americans and they found their study found that only 36% of Americans have great confidence in any kind of organized religion. 36%. That means, if my math is right, 64% of Americans do not have any confidence in any kind of organized religion. You might think, cool, organized religion, same, that's very broad. That's not the church. That's not Woodstock City Church. That's not Jesus. I understand. But here's what I would say is that if you are someone on the outside of religion, if you're someone on the outside of the church, if you are an unchurched person, if you've been burned by the church, if you feel like you're on the outside of faith, if you've ever been skeptical of faith or any kind of religion, guess what? You will group church and you will even group Woodstock City Church and clump Jesus into the organized religion category. That statistic and even my own experience and my experience with a generation of young people coming up is that the reputation of the local church with those on the outside of it is at an all time low. The value of our currency relationally isn't as high as it could be or should be. In fact, if we're just being real, for those on the outside of the church, the church has a big reputation, but not for the things that we would want it to have a reputation for. And maybe for some of you in the room, it's a miracle you're in the room today or it's a miracle you're watching online because for the longest time, the church was defined by a list of things that it was never meant to be defined by. That often, and what we'll find in the world around us right now, that those outside of the church see the church and faith as something that's exclusive, judgmental, dishonest, manipulative, legalistic, self-righteous, hurtful, and even ignorant. Am I saying that stuff is true of Woodstock City? No, but to an outside world watching, what I do know is they clump it all up into one. And while we might not be a part of the problem, I want us to be a part of the solution. And what's so fascinating about this conversation is this was the complete opposite of where Jesus found himself in the New Testament. That if you open up the gospels and you read about Jesus, his reputation was the best with those on the outside. Those on the outside of religion, those on the outside of the Jewish community, those that were outcasted within the Jewish community, they couldn't get enough of Jesus. And Jesus had the worst reputation with those on the inside, with the religious elites, with the Pharisees, with those that were considered the religious people of the day. You couldn't find an outsider or an outcast that had an issue with Jesus. They couldn't get enough 
of Jesus. They found his heart irresistible. They found his movement compelling. They found his mission clear. I have come to seek and to save those that are lost. We find ourselves today seemingly a little bit of the opposite situation. Like, have you ever, and maybe this is just me, and if it is, that's fine. But have you ever found yourself a little nervous to let somebody know that you're a Jesus follower? And not because you're ashamed of Jesus, because you almost wondered, well, what are they gonna think of me when they find out that I am? This just happened to me. Our hot water heater went out. Awesome, adulting is fantastic. And had a plumber out. And we were talking, and he asked me what did I, what I did for a living. And I was like, oh, sure, sure. He's like, huh? I said, water heater, what, huh? <laughs> I ended up telling him I work at a church and I was a pastor and it was cool. I actually invited him to Woodstock City. Um, but that initial insecurity, it wasn't because I was ashamed of Jesus. It's because there's just something in me. It's like, I don't want him to think I'm weird or that I'm gonna judge him or that I'm legalistic or that suddenly he's gotta like walk on eggshells. There's just this, this reputation that's just so out there. If you ever felt that insecurity, maybe that's why? And the reason why this conversation is so important, this is not just about us changing our behavior and, and just changing the opinions of other people. No, no, this is way, way bigger than that. Because with the wrong reputation and with us that make up Woodstock City Church, the people that make up the church, if we individually have the wrong reputation in the community or a bad reputation that fails to represent the heart of Jesus, it's gonna be very, very difficult for us to join in on the mission that Jesus came to start and ultimately accomplish, to seek and to save those that are lost. It's because there's more at stake than us. It's because the reputation of God and the heart of Jesus itself is on the line. And so this kind of leads me to a question that a friend of mine asked me months and months ago, and I have not been able to shake it from my mind or from my heart, and I wanna pose it to you this morning. How can we begin to repair the reputation of the local church? Like right here with Stock City, how can we begin to repair, to restore the reputation of the local church, restore the reputation of the heart of Jesus? And this question, and the answer to this question is where you and I enter into the conversation. Because church has always been more than a building. You know what a building can't be? A building can't be exclusive. A, a, a building can't be judgmental. A building can't be dishonest. A building can't be manipulative or self-righteous or legalistic or ignorant. But people can. You can. I certainly, emphasis on I, can. And so to change the reputation of the church starts with paying attention to the reputation of those that make up the church. And so that conversation starts with you and with me and with us because every single day, I'm just telling you, and you know this, every single day, people are making assumptions about Jesus, about faith, and about this church based on the way that we live, based on the way that we follow, and based on the way that we treat them and those around us. So a few years ago, me and my wife, Julie, we were driving through the Publix parking lot where shopping is a pleasure. And I was trying to find a spot and somebody was backing up out of a spot and decided that day that that parking lot revolved around them. So they didn't look, they just backed right up 
I had to slam on my brakes. When I slam on my brakes, I also like to simultaneously honk on the horn. It's just kind of how I operate. It would be cool if someone designed a mechanism where I could honk and I would brake at the same time. That'd be a lot more efficient. Honestly, a great idea. Anyways, so they're backing up and I'm about to lay down on the horn, but then I see a Woodstock City sticker on the back. It was one of y'all. So I didn't honk. And Julie, my wife, looks at me and she's like, I mean, I'm glad you didn't because she hates when I do. But she's like, why didn't you honk? I was like, well, you know, Woodstock City sticker and I work there. If they recognize me that I'm one of the pastors and I'm honking, I don't know, maybe that would look bad. And she looks at me and she says, hey, I'm glad you didn't honk. However, you should be more concerned if they recognized you and they didn't go to Woodstock City. And I just thought, oh, get out, you're walking home, right? Like I, <laughs> she was so right. Her point, you don't need to worry about those on the inside. I mean, yeah, you do for sure, but they're here, they're good, they're in. They get it, they know who Jesus is, but those on the outside, You're the representative of who Jesus is. And we might think it's unfair or too much pressure, but it doesn't mean it's not true. That there's an outside world watching. There's an outside world paying attention. Paul himself calls you and I Christ's ambassadors, that we are Christ's representatives here on this earth earth, that we don't just represent us in our last names. It's bigger than that. We represent the savior of the world that came to seek and to save the lost, that wanted to make space and to make a place for those that found themselves on the outside. Our reputations matter because the reputation of the church and the reputation of Jesus matters. So what should it be? What should define our reputation to those on the outside, to those looking in, to those who are skeptical, to those who are looking for anything wrong with followers of Jesus, what should that reputation be? And how can you and I begin to start living in a way that makes compelling the heart of Jesus by restoring who Jesus is in the way that we live and repairing the reputation of the local church to a world that is watching. Well, Solomon tells us, and I'm actually gonna jump back into Proverbs chapter three, and I love this. I love particularly how this verse is worded and his, his thought process here, but Proverbs chapter three, verse three. Again, even if you're not a Jesus follower, I'm just telling you, this will lead to a great reputation, but if you are, it's bigger than us. He says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God. And man, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them, write them on the tablet of your heart. Love, and then that word faithfulness, it literally means trustworthy and dependable. So these two virtues here are others-oriented. They're focused on the other people. It's relational. And here's what those two virtues say about us and what they communicate to other people. Love says, you before me. And faithfulness says, you can count on me. You before me. 
And you can count on me in all that you do and in all that I do, in all the conversations that we have, in all of the interactions you have at work, in all of the interactions you have with your neighbors and the people that you do life with, in all of your interactions with seemingly perfect strangers at the grocery store, at the restaurant, let love and faithfulness lead the way. Carry them, wear them, never leave the house without them. Love you before me. Come on, y'all. In the world we live in today, I don't know if there's anything that speaks louder than you before me, your needs before my needs, that we would be a people that's gonna put other people first, that we would be a people that would consistently extend our capacity to help the needs of other people, even when it's inconvenient, even when we're in a hurry, even if we don't like them. That we would be a people that would put our needs on hold for the sake of others, that we would value other people even more than we would value ourselves, that we would consider people before we would consider ourselves, that we would give more than we would get. We would give even if we weren't guaranteed to get, that we would meet the needs of people, that we would see people, that we would see people that are hurting, we would see people that are not like us. We would see people even that we disagree with. We would see people that line up politically different than us. We would see people that are hurting and we would welcome them. We would love them. We would create space for them. You before me. Faithfulness, trustworthy, dependable, that we would be a people that shows up People that you can count on. Christians should be the most dependable people on the planet. If anybody is moving, Christians should show up to help. That's how you know who your real friends are, by the way. <laughs> that we would be available. Come on, this is a whole sermon for another day and maybe I'll do it another time. But in a world where busyness is like a status symbol, where we don't have time for anybody else. No, no, Christians and Jesus followers are the ones that always slow down for the sake of other people. You read this in the New Testament or in the Gospels, Jesus was never in a hurry. That man never ran anywhere. He walked everywhere. He took his time and no interruption was too small or too big or too inconvenient. That would be available, that we would be a people, that we would be a church, that individually in our relationships with people, interactions, that no matter how busy we are, and no matter what the circumstance is, no matter how heavy the burden or the load is that someone is carrying, no matter how tragic the circumstance or how awkward the situation, that we would be first in line to say, you can count on me. You before me, you can count on me. Could you imagine a world, could you imagine a world where every Jesus follower led with that? lived with that, never left the house without it. Could you imagine this community? Could you imagine this city, this county and the surrounding counties that make up this church? Could you imagine the reputation of Woodstock City in the name of Jesus that every single Jesus follower said, you before me, you can count on me. You know what happens when we do? This is why I love this particular proverb. You remember how Solomon ended it? 
He said, when we do, when we bind them around our neck, write them on the tablet of our heart, take them with us everywhere we go, then you will win favor in a good name, a good reputation. Your currency relationally will be astronomically high, higher than Bitcoin, in the sight of God and man. Then you will win favor in the sight of God and man. With man, come on, you know this. With people, the people you wanna be around are those that are you before me, you can count on me. The people that define love and faithfulness, those are the people you wanna hang out with. Those are the people you vacation with. Those are the people you want around. Those are the people you wanna hire. Those are the people you promote. Those are the people that you spend time with. Um, That's what you want your kids to be. Those are the people you want your kids to be friends with. That's who you wanna date. That's who you wanna marry. And come on, isn't that just so true? That's what we want. And imagine the influence and the favor we'll win with people. If that was true of us, the influence we'll have, the trust that we will earn, again, not self-serving, but because we represent something and someone bigger where we should be good stewards of the influence that we have. And ultimately, we'll be representing the heart of Jesus well. So yeah, we'll win the favor of man. And in Jesus' name, I hope we never stop trying. But also we'll win favor in the sight of God. What does that mean? The New Testament is very clear about this. It's simple. You and I, and I think this is one of the most compelling things about our faith. You and I cannot be okay with God if we are not okay with people. That's why we can't stop talking about loving people. In fact, literally the apostle John in 1 John, he says this, if you claim to love God and fail to love people, His words, not mine. You're a liar. Why? Because you can't be okay here if you're not okay here. The barometer of your love for God is seen in the way that you love for people. Your love for God is proven true and real and authentic. Not on how often you go to church. Not on how often you read your Bible or go to small group. All three of those things, really great things to do, by the way. But it's proven true and genuine in the way that you love people. And not just the ones you like, not just the ones you agree with, not the ones on the inside. Every one. You before me. And Jesus showed us the perfect picture, an example of what happens when your vertical love for God meets his horizontal love for people. It changed the world forever. So, how? Back to that question. Do we change, or not change, repair the reputation of the local church? It seems like a daunting question, but I actually think it's quite simple. How do we do it? One person at a time, one interaction at a time, one relationship at a time, showing love and faithfulness every time. One person at a time, one interaction at a time, one relationship at a time, showing love and faithfulness every time. Here's what's true. You ready? Reputation create, repetition creates reputation. Even if you're starting behind the eight ball, even if that first impression mess up, eventually repetition will create a brand new reputation. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Love, faithfulness, love, faithfulness. You before me, you can count on me. Put love and faithfulness on repeat in your life. It's not always going to be easy, convenient, or comfortable. And in fact, 
If we take our cue from Jesus in the New Testament, if we do this well enough, religious people will even get uncomfortable with the way that we love. Let love and faithfulness be on repeat. Repetition creates reputation. Let the soundtrack of your life and of mine, because this starts with me too, this starts with all of us. Let the soundtrack of our hearts and of our lives be you before me, you can count on me. You before me, you can count on me. You before me, you can count on me. And you know what I love about our church? We are so good at doing this on the macro level. Like be rich, it is the ultimate ultimate, ultimate show of love and faithfulness. Give, serve, love. We are so good at doing this on the macro level. We do food drives and back to school drives and you guys are literally the first in line to give financially whenever there's a disaster or any kind of relief fund we need to give to about something going on in the world. We're so good and I'm so proud of how generous our church is to do this on the macro level. I wanna challenge us and me too. I wanna challenge myself to be just as good on the micro on the personal level, the person, the person, the day to day, the family member to family member, coworker to coworker, stranger to stranger. Because when we do it on the macro, but then we put our money where our mouth is and do it on the micro, those on the outside start to see something compelling in our faith. That family member that you never thought would be interested in Jesus starts seeing something that's attractive. That coworker that could not be further from entering into the doors of the church starts seeing something different about Jesus. That neighbor that couldn't be more uninterested starts realizing Jesus followers, man, they make this world better. And it has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with reflecting up and reflecting out the very heart of God. And then you and I will begin to start building the kind of trust with people that can bear the weight of even an invitation to church where we look at someone and say, hey, come sit with me at church on Sunday. Suddenly we start building the kind of reputation where that insecurity of letting people know I'm a Jesus follower isn't there anymore because we've repaired the reputation that we will gain the kind of influence with outsiders with people far from faith, with people skeptical of this church, the kind of influence that will lead to an opportunity to share our story, share the gospel, and create space for Jesus to do something in their hearts. One of our college interns, he volunteers with our college ministry, The Living Room, and he sent me this text literally just on Tuesday. He didn't even know I was preaching this and I didn't even tell him that I'm reading this text, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> he was on campus at Kennesaw State. And every so often, our interns will go down there, our college team will go down there and, and set up a table. And, you know, organizations do that all the time and just tell people about the living room if anyone has any questions. And so he was down there tabling for the living room and he sent this text. He said, hey, someone just came up to the TLR table and said, and I quote, hey, I want you guys to know that y'all are the nicest, most genuine, and kindest Christians on campus. I am a pagan, which I don't even really know what that means, but I am a pagan. But every time I've seen you guys table, I have always had the sweetest and most loving conversations, just wanted to thank you guys for being awesome. Two observations stood out as I read that text. The first, notice, they said, y'all are the nicest, most genuine, kindest Christians, which means they've met Christians that were not kind, genuine, 
are nice. That breaks my heart a little bit. That hurts the reputation a little bit. And it doesn't represent Jesus well. But when we do, even someone who considers themselves a pagan, uninterested in the ways of Jesus, find something attractive and compelling. And I don't know where this person's story is going to land, but what I do know is because of the reputation that our interns have started to build with them by representing the heart of Jesus well, they have now paved the way to potential opportunity and built influence and maybe even a little bit of trust to be a part of their story changing in the name of Jesus. That is And that is how you begin and how I begin and we can begin to repair the reputation of the local church where we are called to jump into this mission. I don't want that question to be daunting. No, no, I want us to be excited about the opportunity before us. I want this church to outlive us. I want this church's legacy to go beyond us. I want your kids and your kids' kids and your friends of your kids and the younger generation that isn't sure about church that could not believe more in this church. I want your neighbors and your neighbors' neighbors and your family members to know, okay, this is a place that reflects the heart of Jesus and that is something I'm interested in being a part of, but it starts with you and it starts with me. And what I want for us as a church individually and ultimately collectively, but individually, that we would work hard, that we would pay attention, that we would be self-aware to be representing the heart of Jesus well, earning a good name and a good reputation for the glory of God, for the sake of the gospel. And as we do, watch barriers come down, watch people start to peer in, Watch people start to see something more attractive, start to get drawn in. And when we start doing that, and as we continue to do that, I'm just telling you, we will begin to change the world. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for this church. And we're grateful for the heart of Jesus that defines this place. So Father, as we leave here on a Sunday, would you give us the eyes and the courage to be Jesus on a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Father, would you give us the courage to live out the love of Jesus and the faithfulness of Jesus? As we seek to repair the reputation of the local church, Father, would, would we take it personally? Would you do a work in the midst of this community in this city? And we ask that you would use these people in this church as a beacon of light, as we seek to join in on the mission that Jesus started some 2,000 years ago. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.